There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. That is such good news from Australia that Breedstack's injury isn't as bad as we thought it was. That is because the people were really worried about it yesterday when she went down and looked so in so much distress. Uh, people were really, really concerned about her. The news is good. That's great to see. Good morning. 1850-715-996. The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96vm.ie. I'm going to kick off this morning with an email that we've got in the early hours this morning from an exhausted frontline worker at, at CUH. This email, when I read it an hour or so ago, made me very, very cross. And, and I actually think it might make you cross as well. I'll get to it in just a sec. Let's look at the numbers, though, this morning. And again, it's been 300 this day and 300 that day and 300 the other day for Cork alone. There was a time before Christmas when we were really worried about 300 and something a day nationally. <laughs> Do you remember when they were thinking about reopening hospitality pre-Christmas? Uh, Neffet were saying, no, lads, we're only at 300 a day. We need to get down lower. And yet they went ahead and they reopened hospitality and reopened half the country with 300 a day nationally. We're still doing 300 a day across Cork City and County at the moment, even though the trend is down a little. It's down a little. Our 14-day figure in Cork of cases as of this morning, uh, January the 18th, is 8,265, which gives us uh, 1,653 per 100k of population. Not the worst in the country, but far from the best. Go back two weeks from today, where we were dealing with 7,977. That was our 14-day figure two weeks ago. Now, that is up, obviously, but I started looking last week and doing some analysis last week on the five-day moving average. Uh, Tony Houlihan was doing this for a little while, then he stopped doing it um, because it gives an interesting trend, but you have to get more information. Like the five days up to today now in Cork, we've had 1,432 cases. The five days up to last Monday... We had 3,630. Now, you'd look at that and think, OK, that trend is down. That looks good. Maybe not. In the five days up to last Friday, we'd really come down to 1,297. But this morning, we're back up again to 1,432. So here in Cork, we're doing all right. We're doing all right, but we're nowhere near, nowhere near down as far as we need to go yet. Nationally, just seen a tweet 
from Richard Chambers at Virgin Media News. 22 beds, only 22 beds available in ICU in the whole country. Only one out at CUH, one ICU bed. 20 hospitals are down to either no beds left or just the one available bed. We're gone into surge capacity. Our total number of critical care beds has been improved from 285 to 324 using surge capacity, but that includes the surge capacity figure. There are just 22 ICU beds available in the whole country. One of them, just the one at CUH. So in the context of all of that information, I'm sorry to bring such dark stuff with you on, on, a, on a Monday morning, but we really do need we really do need to clamp down here. And over the weekend, people were talking about mandatory quarantine. I see they look, look like they're doing it over in the UK now. People were talking about uh, a longer lockdown. We could be locked down, in cert- certainly in areas like pubs and restaurants and hotels, could be locked down until Easter time. And you know what? If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And you'll get no other argument out of me. But we got this email in the early hours of the morning, and I personally found it quite uh, infuriating to read. It said, Hi, I'm a nurse, a person on the front line of this pandemic. It's with great sadness that I'm writing this email to you. When I started out over 14 years ago, training and qualifying to be a nurse, I foolishly thought my chosen career would give me so much happiness, job satisfaction and respect. With that said, yes, I've gotten all of these for most of my career. But in this particular moment in time, during this pandemic, I've never felt so stressed, so underappreciated, or so worthless. Recently, in light of the COVID vaccine, which is a godsend to us on the front line, anti-COVID friends and acquaintances have just plagued me with private messages of links to anti-vaccine sites telling me I'd be stupid to get it, throwing everything at me about infertility to having children with defects. Up to now, I've ignored all of this and called it what it is. Bullshit. But I have now been scrutinised about my nursing and told that all of us are making up lies about the situation that's unfolding in our hospitals, stating that things are not bad, that we are quiet, that we've always had a lack of beds and this is just winter. An attitude of stop lying and just get over it. I have worked 14 winters in a hospital setting. Funnily, none of them are quite like this. I spend time away from my family and my child to care for others. I'm even working overtime to cover staff shortages. And this is how I'm treated or even perceived. Why do I do it? Why should I carry on being a nurse? There seems to be no gratitude or even common courtesy or respect for us like they used to be. I'd appreciate if this email could be read out on your show to let your listeners know what's going on out in the community. Kind regards, faithful Cork listener, a nurse on the front line. I am ashamed to have had to read that this morning. Absolutely ashamed to think that a nurse working on the front line could be treated in that way by so-called friends, by so-called friends, That's an absolute disgrace. No other word for it. That that email left me, it left me white with fury this morning when I read it. And if that person is listening, 
if they're still awake or if they're trying to get some sleep after a night shift, thank you. Thank you a hundred times for what you're trying to do for us. 1850 In the context of that, I spoke again in the last couple of days to Tessa, uh, Tessa Bach. You remember I was talking to Tessa uh, towards the back end of 2020 about student nurses and their lives on, on the front line and how tough it was. And at the time, they were not getting paid. They had been paid earlier in 2020, but they weren't being paid this time. And that's what Tessa was on about. We caught up with her again over the last couple of days. Tessa, we talked uh, in November about student nurses like yourself working on the front line and getting no recognition whatsoever for it. Now the government is talking about a €100 allowance, talking about it, they're not doing it yet. But I think from your Facebook post from last week, that in your mind adds insult to injury. Yeah, um, I suppose I put up that post I wanted um, to just, I didn't know really how to start it and I wanted to put it up for so long. I didn't want to seem that I was coming across ungrateful for my role as a student nurse in the hospital. Um, But I get so many people asking me all the time, asking me, oh, what do you even do? as a student nurse, do you just follow somebody around? Like, what is your day-to-day and all this? And I just thought that maybe if I just portray it in a way how we feel as the student nurses, then people might get a, a greater understanding of it. Yeah. It, it used to be the case that the student nurse literally did do that, worked with the more experienced staff, learned to went along, was given small tasks to do during the day. But this is totally different. Oh yeah, it's it's different circumstances completely altogether, and like I feel like sometimes we feel like we're a bit lost, and um, we do have the nurses. It's not the nurses' fault at all, but like these are completely different circumstances. Like we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and everybody's trying to figure out everything, you know. And sometimes it does happen where we're not with the preceptor or we're not with the nurse, any nurses that we've worked with before, and they think that we're that we're fine by ourselves, that we can do everything. Or sometimes it's like we're just on our, fighting for ourselves, you know, inside the, inside, on, on the wards. Um, but it's, I didn't want to seem ungrateful, like I was saying. Um, Describe your typical day for me. Um, so we have, with my post, as you read, I wake up numerous times during the night with panic and um, worrying about what the day is going to bring and everything um, and then I get the bus um, sometimes I'm left trying to figure out find the coins in my purse trying to pay for the bus and everything um, and then I go up onto the wards and we start the day with handover sometimes we have the two new or the three new or the four new COVID cases we start with the bed washes and a lot of the time there can be um, aggressive patients and we don't know that sometimes uh, they, the nurses might think which isn't their fault they might think that um, we know all this and that we should be careful but a lot of times I've experienced anyway aggressive patients and they're trying to rip off your mask because they don't know they can't see your face mm. um, and it's, it's quite overwhelming um, and you're really startled but then I go on my break and then the later on in the day I just find different tasks for myself to do I might um, help the patients with feeding if they have if they're so weak that they can't feed themselves. Um, 
I help the I help sing or I read them the newspapers when they have no company from their families mm. and when they've lost their smile. Um, and it's so it's so heartbreaking when you you can see that their family obviously means so much to them mm. and they don't have anybody and they rely on us to be there for them. They rely on us to hold their hand and to tell them that everything's going to be okay. Because a lot of other people, they, they're so overwhelmed with the paperwork and time management and everything that they don't have the time to sit down with the patients and tell them that it's going to be okay and that they're going to see their family again and everything. Because I think that must be the hardest part or definitely since the start of all of this, hearing the stories of people who are in hospital. The, the hardest part is you're there, you're struggling, you might be getting a little bit better, you might be getting a little bit worse, but the simple thing like your mom or your husband or your brother or your sister coming in just to talk and check on you, that's yeah. gone. They don't have that. Exactly. And it's so heartbreaking because they're wondering as well how their family are doing outside of the hospital walls. They're wondering if they're ever going to if they're if they're going to get better enough to go and see their family again. If they're if they're if we have time to make a phone call or arrange a FaceTime so that they can see their family members. And it's so it's so hard to see that that pain inside of them like I know they're struggling physically but it's the mental pain as well that they're experiencing and if we can give them some bit of comfort it's it's it makes your day so much better knowing that you can be there for them. Do people cry a lot in the hospital Tessa? Oh yeah um, a lot of people they have the fear of the unknown they have um, fear of pain they have do you know if they're going to ever leave the hospital again um, sometimes you, the nurses, I know I myself, I can get quite emotional and sometimes you have to draw yourself back from those situations because if you're scared, your patient's going to be scared. But a lot of time it's, it's comfort for them to know that you can empathize with them, that you're there with them and that you can, you know what they're facing you know you might not be exactly in their shoes but you can hold their hand and tell them and comfort them that you're there and to see sometimes the pain in people's eyes it's heartbreaking and you just you just want to hug them and hold them and I know with the restrictions and everything you have to keep as much social distance for your own safety and for their safety of course but sometimes you just you just want to hug them and tell them that it's going to be okay and things are going to get better but even as nurses we're, we're unsure of that we don't know that exactly yeah you're told as a nurse aren't you never promise it's going to be fine because you can't yeah. make that promise and, and yet you're there and they're looking to you to know am I going to be all right am I going to get through this am I going to see my family again yeah, exactly. And we're just put in that position. And as student nurses, it's difficult because you don't know, you don't have a lot of experience with these with these situations. And you want to tell them everything's going to be okay. And you want to be there for them. But of course, you can't promise them there, but you can tell them, look, we're going to get through today and we're going to do the best we can. We're going to see what tomorrow tomorrow is going to bring you know i think that's the the key point that you're getting to you're you're a student nurse you're you're new to this you you're not qualified yet you've not spent time on the wards learning from the the older heads you're a student you're trying to do this job of reassurance and almost be their counselor and you yourself are trying to learn at the same time it must be exhausting um, sometimes, yeah, you, it can be exhausting. You come home and your head is just filled with the patients that you've met that day and the experiences that you encountered. But at the same time, 
you have to go in there with the best, with the with a bright smile, no way, so your parent, patients can see that. You know, like look, she's smiling. Maybe maybe she can get through this. If I can get through this, she can get. Or if she can get through this, I can get through this. And um, it it does get overwhelming, you know. And especially because we we can't with conf- patient confidentiality and everything. Of course, we can't go around talking about it. Hmm. So it's a lot. A lot of us is being just. It's all in our heads sometimes, and it's hard to to process everything that's going on all the time. So it is difficult in that way as well. This is not really, I know that a global pandemic was what nobody signed up for, but when you filled out your CEO form, Tessa, to do nursing, you never expected to be working on the front line in in a pandemic. No, and that's the thing. Like everybody, uh, people are being like, "Oh, you knew you were never going to be paid, so why are you fighting for it now?" But mm. we we knew the risks if we're going to bring an f- infection home to our families. We knew that we'll have assignments and exam pressure on top of everything, and we knew that we'd have to do the twelve-hour shifts. But the thing is, we never knew that we'd have to do it in a global pandemic where we're receiving no support whatsoever from the government, and where our mental and physical health is literally on the verge of breaking. You mentioned in your post that sometimes it's a case of do I eat now or do I keep my money for the bus tomorrow? Yeah, and I feel like that is just my story. I know a lot of other student nurses and they have it so much more worse than me. Like I'm lucky that I have a home to come home to and I have a father that will cook me my meals um, if I have the energy to eat them some nights. But um, I know a lot of student nurses and they have to pay for accommodation and then they have the like some of them have chosen not to go home and see their families over Christmas because of the risk of spreading the COVID. They have vulnerable people at home so they have to stay in their accommodations and it's hard for them um and it is like we have like sometimes with the canteen food and everything we have to decide oh will I will I just have a snack from the vending machine or will I have a full meal will that be enough for me you know because there's a lot of things and on top of that then when we're registered we still have to pay the 100 euro registration fee which is (laughs) uh, when I talk to some of the nurses about it they're like don't even don't even ask us what it's for because we don't even know and then on top of all of that to hear that the secretary uh, the secretary general from the HSE is getting a 90,000 euro pay rise yes so yeah making that making our our annual uh, income 292,000 a year is it's just like a slap on their face it's like oh are we not even seen are we not even recognized that the government think that two euro and 80 cents roughly is saying well done fair play this is what you deserve yeah because that the hundred the hundred quid that they're talking about that that breaks down in your week to what 280 an hour roughly yeah it's been 273 or 280 an hour compared to 290,000 for the the secretary of the department but one thing I, I sense from your voice Tessa, is that you still absolutely love it? Oh, I do. I really do. It brings so much joy to me um, to know that I can make a difference or I can be a part of someone's routine in their day or that I can sit down and talk to people. I mean, um, the reason I went into nursing is because my mo- my mother was very sick when I was younger and I loved the idea of just helping. I like I spent a lot of time in the hospitals and seeing the nurses do their work and seeing how that they can be an advocate for their patients. And I love I just love the idea that I can be there for someone. I can make their day a little easier. And um, if it's, you know, 
brushing their hair or painting their nails or doing a silly dance, something to put a, a smile on their face. And it, oh, it really burns up your day. It has the hardships. You come home sometimes and you're like, oh my God, how did I get through today? Mm. Um, but other than that, like I, I really, really do love it. Yeah. Well, listen, stick with it because I don't know anything about nursing, but I, I get the sense you'll make a damn good one by the time you're through this. <laughs> Yeah, um, but like I said, I'm an advocate for my patients, but today I just hoped that I could be an advocate for myself and an advocate for all the other nursing students out there because I know how hard it can be. I know how hard it can be to be just completely ignored from the government. I mean, women in general are just completely like totally disregarded in Ireland like from the cervical smear test scandals the sealing of the mother and baby home reports and to the complete lack of maternity services during COVID it's just it's just a complete disregard and it just feels like we're not even seen anymore and it's it's just a slap on the face like I just wish that there was more that I could do like I wish I could just sometimes just go up to the doyle and sit down and just talk to them all and just look them in the face and that they can see the exhaustion and the tiredness and the frustration, you know? You absolutely say it so well. There's no need to add anything to it. Tessa, thank you so much and good luck. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for letting me talk again. <laughs> you take care now. You too. She's lovely. She really is. We had a good chat there over the weekend. That's Tessa working hard on the front line for for no money. Remember, they're not getting paid. There's a proposal out there to maybe give them 100 quid, which is what? 202 euro 73 an hour, she said. And they're breaking their asses for it. 1850 715 996. Paul Reid, the head of the HSE CEO, has tweeted in the last hour. These numbers are scary, lads. Absolutely scary. 2,023 patients are now in hospital with COVID-19. Over 400 are receiving high-grade ventilation and respiratory support inside and outside of ICU. Our national critical care surge plan is activated. We're working really hard to remain in control. Your help counts. That's this morning's latest tweet from Paul Reid. To give you the numbers that we came in with, 20 hospitals are down to no ICU beds or just one available. Nationally, there are only 22 beds available in ICU. There's only one available at CUH. Think about that. If you're anywhere near CUH, look in at the sheer size of it. If you've ever been in it, you know the sheer size of the CUH. There is one available ICU bed this morning. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts. And get all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's 
Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. A big reaction on the comments to uh, to Lillian, uh, I beg your pardon, to Tessa. Lillian's coming up in a minute. To Tessa and also to that email we got at the top of the show, which I might well reread for you during the morning in case you missed it. But it's it's an email that has us all very cross here in the office uh, about the things being experienced by a nurse on the front line. And then we had a good chat there with Tessa about being a student nurse on the front line. Sheila says, hello, I worked in healthcare in the hospitals for over 20 years. Due to health reasons, I stepped back to other duties in the hospital. When the student nurses come in, they look lost. I take them under my wing and just encourage them and they'll be okay. It makes the difference to their day to face their hard tasks. My own son is studying medicine and I'm hoping that when he enters his position, somebody will watch out for him. It's heavy work for them. They should be paid no excuse. We need strong medical staff, not someone dealing with mental stress because of a situation that they were put into. Mark in Bantry says, get frontline staff to form a party and run for election. I wouldn't vote for anyone else. Thank you for giving them a voice on radio. That's from Mark in Bantry. Thank you, Mark. And we have more from the frontline later on, talking to uh, a senior nurse from Ballancolig who's working in the biggest and busiest ICU in all of London. And he'll be telling us about his COVID-19 experience after 10. My heart breaks for that nurse. This is about the email. I work in a hospital myself. I see how tired and wrecked nurses and doctors are. I'm a cleaner and I've been told she are only a cleaner. You do nothing. I'm so tired every day and like that nurse, so-called friends saying to me, Asher, it's fake. I'm tired of trying to explain to selfish people who don't care. That's why we're in lockdown with the likes of them. Sorry, can't come on air. And just before I go into the break there, I saw something, uh, Fergal brought this to my attention this morning, in Germany now, they are getting so annoyed with people who just will not live within the restrictions, that if they are repeatedly offending, like if you're supposed to be in quarantine and you're not, you're going out doing all the things you shouldn't be doing, or if you're constantly breaking something like your five kilometre limit. They're now rounding people up or starting to round people up and put them into quarantine camps. And you know what? It's in one of the papers this morning that they got so sick of people who were supposed to be in quarantine and not observing quarantine that they've decided, oh, well, if we catch you out of quarantine more than once, see that place out there? That's where you're going to quarantine. And we'll have police and soldiers on the gate. That's what they're doing to make sure people stay Quarantined. Look what they're doing in Australia. You get brought straight to your hotel room and you're locked in. And security has to let you out for 14 days. We're still letting people come and go as they pleased. That's, that's just how it is. 1850-715-996. Now, Lillian, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you how this morning? You? I'm not too bad. More importantly, how are you? You have not been well. No, I ha- this morning I feel fine. I'm coming around and it's just kind of lacking still in catching my breath in the morning and kind of a cough, but so happy to be alive, CJ. It's so funny, I actually opened the door at about two o'clock this morning and roared out, I'm alive! <laughs> <laughs> you, you, 
you have been so careful. I know you personally, as we know. You you have been so so careful. Just you and the family since March. PJ, seriously, even on my door coming in, I had posters saying, you know, please do not enter due to COVID. I had, like, outside every bedroom door, I had, uh, you know, antiseptic, everything that you could possibly do. And even myself and Adam, for Christmas, we went to, um, we went shopping uh, out to Dunn's and each time there was, uh, you know, there were a lot of people and we waited until two o'clock in the morning when there was just nobody around. Um, Christmas Eve, we waited until the last minute until to have to go into town. I suppose we shouldn't have gone in, but we did until the last, uh, genuinely, it was dead. It was the last minute before the shops closed. There was nobody around. And, you know, we don't know how it really came into the house. You haven't been able to trace it. We're tracing one uh, section um, where Adam's friend was home um, from up the country and he met him outside the house, but he actually went for a walk around the field. But he said that when they met, they did punch kind of like, you know, hands punch each other. But uh, that guy, that guy actually had it, you know, so he got it after but he hadn't at the time, but so that's the only thing that we can think of. But and you was know, it Adam so, got it first and then you got it or what? Yeah, I Adam got it first, then I got it, then my sister got it, um, then uh, there was the six of us in a bubble for since last March that hadn't met other people. Like, I, Rebecca got it, her boyfriend got it. So, like, um, but very, very strange, Adam's girlfriend who was with us and Tony... They didn't get it at all. Your other half, yeah, didn't get it at all. Weird, and or did they get it and not and have no symptoms? You see, you don't know, do you? Yeah, and this is the whole thing I was talking about, PJ, about people, you know, that um, you know, that are not actually quarantined. You know, they, they a lot of people are walking around with it, don't realise they have it, but in another situation, when I drove Adam out, I felt the symptoms, but I had my test hadn't come through, but Adam's test day on the third day, I had to drive him out. And we went, I had, I felt as sick as he did. But when we were driving back home, Adam turned around to me and said, imagine if we were irresponsible people now and just went in to, and did shopping. And, you know, it's just people, that's what's happening. People are waiting for their results and they're going shopping. But I think they should be responsible enough to know if I have, if I don't feel right and if I feel strange, there has to be something wrong. And I think that even we came home and, you know, we didn't, we didn't go out for two days because of the fact that we felt that, you know, we, we, we didn't feel right. And then Tony couldn't go out either. But that's the first time I ever felt the helplessness of not being able to go out and do something for ourselves, PJ. Yeah, I get that. I do get that because we've been we've been locked down here in Coogan Towers for the last two weeks and no one's been able to go out and it can get very difficult. It can get very difficult. If you need an urgent message, if you've got to get someone to go and do it for you and ask them to leave it on the doorstep. How, how sick did you get, Lil? Um, I actually kept a diary, would you believe it, PJ, for 18 days to 21 days. I got really bad. I got, first of all, weak and I had a cough and I had sore eyes. And I felt like seasickness and then I had no taste and no smell. But I had the worst freezing shivers and then fever and 
space is coming towards me and hallucinations. But and and my speech started going, and I got confused. And the last, and then I was breathless, and I had to get the doctor twice. Um, I must say, a doctor William Hutch. If it's okay to mention his name from Woodview Family Doctor, I've never forget him. And for the rest of my life, he, twice he rang me and um, he put me on steroids and gave me an antibiotic. You're not supposed to have an antibiotic with the virus, but he felt, and he really, really was very good. He felt that in case I had a, a chest infection coming on, that I wouldn't be able to fight the breathing situation. So do you did know you feel it, did you feel at any stage you might end up in hospital? I thought I was actually going to die, PJ. I was writing off my will and everything. I wasn't leaving very much financially. <laughs> but I was writing off my will and I, I thought I was gone. There were a few times I genuinely thought I was gone. <laughs> I, I know you laugh about it, like, but I mean you must have been you must have been kinda of scared. You're you're a person who loves to get up and go and every yeah. day is a day to fill and a day to be busy. You must have been frightened, were you? I was terrified, Peter. I didn't care about anything else. It was the breathing. Because, um, do you know, but the thing about it is that it's so contagious, it's so dangerous. But now I suppose, like, the thing about it is that the doctors do know if anybody, if anybody's listening and they have it, or, you know, they don't feel well. Like, since last March, the doctors have got so much more information on it in the fact that, you know, the other thing, PJ, is that I was very disappointed in people. Now, I know that it's their own business whether they, you know, kind of say things to people or not. But, like, I counted in my research because I was so shocked at how many people casually said it to me afterwards. 46 people casually said it to me afterwards, uh, oh, I had it there a few months ago, or oh, I had it there. And I really felt so shocked that people, you know, didn't say it. And the reason that I really actually asked people why they didn't say it, and I think it's an, an Irish thing as well, you know. But one person said, um, oh, I, I thought that, you know, people would think that I felt dirty, that it was a disease like leprosy. I couldn't believe yeah. that. Another person said, I, you know, I felt that people would think I was, like, irresponsible for the way I was acting, shopping and going out and and meeting people, you know. But well, person, unfortunately, if you did feel unwell and you did think you had it and you did keep shopping and you did keep... Then you were being irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is that, some, like, I suppose, you know, going shopping to do your groceries and having your, your mask on, I think a lot of people, they don't realise, to me personally... I was in, you know, thinking I was in town on that day and I, I could see people smoking, you know, the e-cigarettes. Yes. I'm saying to myself, my God, it's like it's it's definitely, you know, in the air, do you know, as well, because if people are coughing and if you saw, you know, if you saw the, um, the actual research that was done and that ultraviolet thing where somebody coughed and how far the droplets spread. That's right. You know, but um, another person said, uh, um, I thought it would be a shame on the household. I said, what? Like, this is, like, I just feel that, like, this is not, not, uh, um, something, this is a community thing that everybody needs to help each other. Because if I had known at the time, do you know, that, um, 
you have, you know, and I think that anybody that's out there, you can get steroids now to help you breathe. And if you take your vitamin D, C and zinc every morning, there are things that will build up your immune system. And my son in Germany, um, PJ, he lives next door to two doctors who actually work on the ward of the COVID ward in Germany. And um, he really helped me because he rang every day to tell me what was going to happen. And he was saying, look, don't worry about the seventh or eighth or ninth day because that's the time that it'll probably get worse to get better. You know, so like, if I had known all those things and if I had spoken to people who afterwards said to me, oh, I got, I had got steroids and I was, I was here and I was there. So it would have helped if somebody had spoken to me about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, look, I'm glad that you are on the road to recovery. I think your message, Lillian, is listen, if you have it, do what you need to do. Do the right thing and, and don't go do something stupid like go. F- like while you're waiting for your test, don't go doing a big shop. Yeah, and that's so important because you actually have it. If you and if, like, if you have, if you if you genuinely have no smell and taste, that's really one huge aspect of it. If you've no smell and if you and you can't taste, you know, and if you if you have a change and you know your own body, like there is a flu and there is a flu. This is completely different. And no for anybody for anybody out there who doesn't believe in it, when it hits your own door. And yeah. do you know about the vaccine as well? Um, somebody asked me, um, I, I went for a walk yesterday around the field, around our place, and I spoke to somebody who was saying about not getting the vaccine. Before I had it, 50-50, I definitely had, was, had to think about it because of the speed, which I genuinely believe, PJ, that because of the, the world and the thought that politicians thinking and all these global leaders thinking that there was going to be an economic fall, that the funds were made available, the politicians were made available to work speedily towards it and, you know, to drive the world together. And yeah. I think that, can you imagine what could be done in such a short space of time if the funds were available for people and everybody got together, and I think that's the only reason why it has been done speedily. And that yeah. I, no, I think that's I think you're you're right there. This, they've just pulled all the science together and all the politics together to get the vaccines out as fast as possible. Lillian, I wish you well, and, and so much, uh, I hope the recovery is complete. Talk to you soon. By the way, when are you going back on Facebook with your T for three or T at three? Yeah, T three. I'll probably start again next week. And thanks right. so much for mentioning us. When you're um, well enough, let me know, and I give it a plug. All right. I will. Thanks so much, PJ. Thanks a lot. Take care, Lillian. Thanks very much. That's Lillian Lillian Courtney uh, on Cork's 96 FM. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Takeover on Quartz 96 FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. Takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Cork's 
Gold, Imro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. You can shove your forced quarantine. Last time I checked, I wasn't in prison. I'll be going to two funerals today of two people who died because of COVID. Rest in peace, both. The two parts of that message scream at each other. But thank you. 1850-715-996. There was a video going around at the weekend. I watched it on Cork Bio. A heartwarming little video, heartbreaking little video, actually, of a foal who was found in a housing estate in Holly Hill, up in the meadows in Holly Hill. Uh, the rescue team who found him um, called him Ian. Uh, he was found by the wonderful people and rescued by the wonderful people from my lovely horse rescue, Kelly Mellericks, one of their volunteers. Hi, Kelly. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How did you find out about Ian? How is he doing, to start with? Um... He's he's doing okay. He's doing okay. Um, he's holding his own. He's bright enough this morning that he did have his breakfast. But we will be revisiting with our vets today um, to try and figure out what actually is going on with his neck um, because there seems to be some sort of damage somewhere about midway of his neck that he he has flexion, but he 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 does find pain if it's if you if you try to lift it up too high, and he's kind of holding it out in front of him. Permanently, you know, and not kind of moving like a normal horse would. Does, does he seem to be in discomfort from it? Like, well, he's on painkillers and, and um, anti-inflammatories. Um, now, even yesterday, you know, he he's turning and he's looking, and we discovered he he likes a little carrot, um, and his little eyes are bright and wanting to eat. So. He, he's holding his own at the moment. Uh, today will tell us a lot more now once we get the vet to him again. You know. Do, do you know where he came from? We don't know. I mean, we just got, we started getting calls from the public um, about a sick horse um, at the entrance. Well, what they said was a horse that didn't look too well at the entrance to the Meadows Housing Estate. So uh, we got the guardie because, I mean, it's common that there's there's horses roaming up there. Um, so we got the guardie to go up and then kind of towards about tea time. And we got another photograph from a member of the public showing him lying down up against the wall um, on his own. So uh, the team, Jim, uh, Luke, Jeanette, myself, we, we jumped in and, and went up and met the guardie there and um, then realised, yeah, we, we, we have a very young little baby who's um, who was in a lot of trouble, you know. How old is he? He's only about five or six months old. Um, right. He can't have even seen a good day in his life because he's actually so thin as well. Um, like on his backbone, his hips, he's he's really skinny. Um, he also had like a, a kind of a like a skin uh, infection around his mouth and his eyes. So he's kind of got a few things going on there that we need to try and help him with. You know. Poor old devil. This is an ongoing problem, though, isn't it, Kelly? Of of this kind of neglect. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the history of my lovely horse rescue and the Cork branch being set up. We've had several ponies, and, and uh, they're always young, like like Ian or little Mikey, the famous Mikey, who was um, found as well, and he was in a horrific state. And again, only a couple of months ago, we picked up another tiny little girl through the help of the guardie as well, little Teddy, who, who when we got her back, um, we discovered she had pneumonia. So again, you know, we're not getting them out of there and just taking them down, and, and they're they're frolicking around the fields where. In instantly having to hit with um, 
vet, vets and, and medications and um, helping them, you know. Yeah. What will if one assuming that that um, that he he'll be okay? We're hoping that he'll be okay. What what will happen to him once he's well? Well, my lovely horse rescue. I mean, that's a commitment we give to the animals that come into our care. They'll always stay in our name. Um, and what we do then is uh, we have some wonderful people throughout Ireland, and it's nationwide where they'll foster and they'll they'll take them under their wing and give them a bit of TLC and some feeding. And then we also do adoptions. So um, a family or, or somebody would ask to adopt a pony or a horse from us, and they become the adopted parents as such. But again, as I said, always, always for their lifetime under the full monitor of My Lovely Horse Rescue. How much does it cost to look after a, a little lad like Ian or you mentioned Teddy or others? And how do you raise the money? Well, the well, last 12 months has brought us to a standstill. Um, we used to, like our, our usual ways would be um, the, the Kildare branch and Cork branch. We'd be out in the streets collecting, running table quizzes. Um, just generally, you know, any any way we can, running raffles, things like that. But all that's come to a standstill, so we very, very much rely on um, the public um, and, and their help, which, you know, we did a Christmas appeal before Christmas of a wish list of things that we'd like to have at the farm. And uh, thank you to everybody um, who, who responded to that because it, we just stocked up our, our medi supplies, our feed supplies, and um, it was really, really appreciated by the team. Okay. Well, listen, Richard, every success with the continued work and here's hoping that, that Ian uh, pulls through because what you do, guys, you're, you're absolutely great uh, and thanks for what you do. That's Kelly Mellerick, a volunteer with My Lovely Horse Rescue on the story of little Ian. He's only a little baby, six or seven months old. He's got some kind of a neck injury, all kinds of infections going on, but they got him. He's safe. He's being looked after. He's on painkillers and hopefully, hopefully, he'll pull through. Uh, be great. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Just the, the, why people leave little animals like that just to rot. That that's what he was left to rot. Whoever had him, just he was injured or had in and just they just left to rot. It's terrible. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts ninety six FM. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Email opinion at ninety six fm dot ie. If you missed any of our first hour this morning and you'd like to catch up with it later, do not forget the podcast that we put up in early to mid afternoon. We podcast the whole show. Take out the ads. Take out the news. Take out the songs. Just give you the talk for the two hours and two and a quarter hours or something. That's how long it lasts. So set yourself down with a cup of coffee and a pack of biscuits and have a look, have a good listen back. That podcast goes up mid-afternoon. We put it first to Twitter. We tweet the link and then it goes on to the Cork's 96FM app and all the other platforms during the afternoon. A lot of responses to the story of Ian, the little horse. Is there no law against keeping horses, says this message. We also had a resident in the Meadows Holly Hill area send us a picture that she took at the start of January where a number of horses were grazing on the grass verges in the estate. And she says, I've phoned the guards so many times, it seems they just leave them into our estate. Neighbours who've some skill with horses uh, do their best. And lots of people, particularly the lads on the proc, wondering why there's no one commenting on this abuse 
of horses that is commonplace around parts of our city? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. Why are there no public reps speaking out about this and speaking out about who's doing it and who is letting a poor animal like Ian suffer in that way until the wonderful people from my lovely horse come and take him away and try to sort him out and give him some standard of life. Who's doing it? There are those who would tell you we all know who's doing it, but we don't, unfortunately, because the guards have never actually arrested anybody for treating an animal like this. Then again, can you even be arrested for treating an animal like this? 1850715996. A lot of response to young Tessa, who I spoke to in in the first hour. Uh, that lovely student nurse is a credit to her parents, says, says this email to opinion at 96fm.ie. She made more sense in that chat with you than Stephen Donnelly ever made. Pay the student nurses, and for goodness sake, give them a bonus. 1850715996. Let us go to to London and to Alan Bohan from Ballancolig. Alan, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, how are you? Good, good to talk to you. You are a senior charge nurse at the Royal London Hospital and your ICU numbers are now three times as many as in March in the biggest ICU in London and they haven't even peaked yet. It must be hell on earth over there. Yeah, it absolutely is hell on earth. Um, we actually now have the unfortunate title of being the biggest ICU in the UK with what's going on. And we still don't have enough beds. So, How many beds um, have you got this morning? So, with, to give you context, we normally would run 44 beds and we have 150 patients in the ICU, 130 of which have covid and we're trying to open up another ward with a further 30 beds. Um, things have got so bad with us that now the army is going to be sending staff to try and help us. London, of course, at this stage, Alan, is, is some of the worst COVID case numbers in the world. Yes, unfortunately, it is. Yeah. Did the, did the mayor there, uh, Mr. Can, did, did he declare a state of emergency in London in the last week or so? Like, it's just kind of... He hard. did, uh, about a week and a half ago, he declared a state of emergency. Yeah. Um, like we're way? having to... Our, our ICUs are so full, we're having to transfer patients long distance. Just last week, we transferred three people, one to Leicester, one to Stoke, one to Newcastle, which is really long distances to be transferring someone who's critically ill in an ambulance. Yeah. What, what's it like working under that level of pressure? Um, it's, it's very hard, to be honest. Um, I think you don't realise how hard it is until you've probably time to reflect at the end of your shift. If you're just focused on getting through the next, the next hour, mm. getting the next person in, just uh, you feel like you're just firefighting, really. Yeah. Trying to support your staff as best you can, um, but there's there's no magic bullet. There's not enough ICU nurses. It's, it's plain and simple. Um, normally, ICU you'd look after one person because they're so critically unwell. Um, we're having to dilute our numbers down to looking after four patients with support from other registered nurses, 
We're going to have consultant surgeons who are acting as care assistants to help us. Just everyone, everyone is being thrown into this to try and manage. Yeah, now, you, you, you're, you're a charge nurse, which means you're, you're, you lead a team. How many on that team? So I have, on my team, I have 11 people, but when I'm on shift, I will be uh, in charge of the whole unit. So I would have to coordinate for all of those 150 patients and liaise with A&E and the wards and see where we're going to get more beds, how we're going to get more people in. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's very difficult at the moment. Certainly the, the hardest are, are job you, I've ever done. Hardest job you've ever done. Are you losing patients every day, Alan? Absolutely. Yeah, we are, unfortunately. Um, uh, so during the first pandemic peak, which was April, May, we had a mortality rate of about 40%, which is pretty normal. But hopefully now things are actually slightly improving with that now that we have we know more about the disease. We've got more treatments that we didn't know about before. Yes, yes. So there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel with that and the fact that we now have a vaccination programme that's going to definitely help. Yeah, that, that's, that really is and uh, big news because, like, at least as we came into this third wave, the vaccines also started to be, to be rolled out you know, I mean, have you got yours? I believe you got your vaccination just before it, Christmas. Yes, I got the I got the first um, jab of the Pfizer vaccine, and I'm glad to report I had no side effects or any of my colleagues. Good. And when are you due to get your second, or are you due to get it this month? Uh, actually, it's been extended. It'll probably be in the next three months. Okay. 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 They're hoping um, that actually by not giving you the second dose they'll be able to give so many more people their first dose. Yes, yes, because it gives you a fair level of a fair level of immunity. Um, you'd obviously have friends back here at home nursing on the front line, just like you said. What are they telling you when you talk among yourselves? How, how do the two situations compare? Um, I, think it's, I think it's a pretty similar picture, really, to be honest. I worked uh, for three years in... Um, the general ICU in the CUH. I trained in the CUH, went to UCC, did my nursing training there. And short staff being asked yeah. to take more patients than you would normally do. Um, we're calling it disaster medicine because that's what it is. Where you're not able to give the same level of care that you would want to give someone. It's, the game is about keeping people alive. Um, and I know the CUH is in one of the worst situations as well in the country, and they're certainly feeling it as well. And well, um, they may, may or may not know, Alan. They have one bed left this morning, one critical care bed left this morning. Yeah, that's shocking. You know, you're yeah. spending your day looking after very, very sick people, and looking after their needs and the, their, you know, the needs of those around. How do you look after yourself? I mean, what are you? You're 33. Yeah. Um, and, and this is obviously going six, seven days a week now. How, how do you mind yourself? How do you, how do you switch off? How do you, how do you, can you ever leave the scenario for an hour and just draw breath and relax? 
Um, I'm quite fortunate, actually. Like my partner is an A and E nurse, right. so um, so we're both in the same situation. We're both able to talk to each other about it, debrief, and move on. Not everyone is as fortunate, you know, that perhaps their partners working something else that they don't get it, you know. So yeah. I'm quite lucky like that. That then you can just try and focus on other things for a for a few days before you go back to it. But it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely always with you because you're kind of constantly you getting work? the WhatsApp messages about yeah. how bad things are, even yeah. on your days off. So you can't really avoid that. What kind of a no. roster do you work? Um, so I usually would do. Um, I would usually do two or three days in a row, and then followed by two or three nights. So yeah. at the moment, I'm I'm doing about five shifts in a row, and then having about three days off. Okay, okay. And is that 12 hours? 12 hour shift? Yeah. Uh, in theory, it's a lot more usually. <laughs> yeah, I think of that. You don't, you don't get out of the hospital bang on 12 hours like. So no, yeah, not at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, you're in a lot earlier than when you start. Yes, yeah. Watching the situation at home, um, Alan, is there anything that you can tell us to, to help avoid the kind of absolute chaos? that you're dealing with like it's bad as it is but I mean the chaos that you're dealing with how can we possibly avoid that um, well I mean we obviously all have to continue to follow the rules I mean to be fair I think Ireland was doing great for so long people had been doing it perhaps there was just a bit of apathy over the Christmas and New Year's period um, but I, I think the, the biggest thing is there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fake news out there. There's a lot of people who actually don't even they think this is a hoax. They don't even believe it. I mean, we had a guy in the ICU two weeks ago who was telling us that he didn't have COVID, and you just look at him and say, "Well, why do you think you're in ICU?" You know, um, we just it the, the reality is our health our health systems are not designed for this. We don't have enough beds, and the reality is that if it comes that the health service breaks, then it could be your loved one who won't get an ICU bed, and that's unfortunately what we've seen happen throughout the world. That's what that's what happened in Spain. That's what happened in Italy. That's what happened in the United States. Yeah, these are what we have the battlefield triage, where you're looking at two people. You have one bed. You have to say who'll benefit most from that bid, but that's a decision nobody wants to make. No, and that is the decision that is being made every day, unfortunately, and that's the reality of it. And that must be very hard, Alan, to be the person who makes that call. It is. It is absolutely, um, and it's very hard on their families as well, with the when they have to mourn their loved one knowing that they weren't given the opportunity. Do you find yourself uh, making that call or your team making that call? Uh, our team has to make that call, unfortunately. I mean, we don't, we, we don't want to make it, but unfortunately some people in normal times who would have come to ICU, uh, you have to weigh up the decision that actually 
by admitting them to ICU, are they going to are they going to recover? If, and if the answer is no, then you cannot offer ICU to this person. That's a That's horrible the, position to find yourself in. It is. It must be very upsetting to go home after that, having made those decisions. It must be very upsetting to sit at home. You know, when it's all when it's all over and you're sitting down at home with with a bit of dinner and maybe the telly. Must be that that must play on your mind. Did I make the right call? Did we did we take the right box? It does, and um, I, a lot of our staff are suffering with post traumatic stress disorder. And just from the situation that we're in, um, I think it's going to have huge long-term uh, consequences for our staff and for all of the medical professions in general. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a terrible thing to find yourself having to having to decide it's been tough for you too personally I think Alan because you've missed is it one or two family funerals you just couldn't come home uh, I missed my granddad's funeral um, which was obviously very upsetting that I couldn't come home but there's so many other people who are in the same boat it's not not just me fortunately with modern technology I was able to watch it on Facebook but it's not the same is it no, you know no it's not um, Listen. Yeah. What can we do? Are there are there many more Irish in the Irish lads and lassies in there? There is there because we have a, our own little Irish mafia <laughs> in the Royal London. So it is there. Yeah, there is there's quite a good few. A good few. Of us I guess the, there's a, there's a sense of camaraderie there, Alan. Is there as well? You know. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It is. It is great. It's, all, it's always great to work with someone from home. Yeah. Well, listen, you take care of yourself. And I know that everyone who knows you from here will be very proud of the work that you're doing. Uh, and, and, and for goodness sake, mind yourself. Uh, because there's only one you. You know what I mean? I know. Thanks a million, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Alan. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Alan. Alan Bohan, working in the busiest and biggest ICU in the UK this morning. And they are overrun, overrun with with COVID and the army has been called in, they're trying to get extra beds, trying to get extra capacity, moving people around the UK to try to get the people in most need of care uh, to the care that they need and having to make that heartbreaking decision of who gets the bed. I don't think I could make that call, do you? 1850 715996. The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 2111 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Save time and money by only having to do eye makeup. Forgot to shave? No problem, you're covered. And it's easier to avoid an ex because they probably won't recognise you. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 96 96 96 on Cork's 96 FM. We'd Lillian on before 10 o'clock. Uh, she's had COVID and pretty much ripped through the house, but she has no idea how it came into the house. She has no more than a working theory. They were being so, so careful, and yet it got in. But the point she was also making was, like, if you think you have it, for goodness sake, stay away from other people. And if you're waiting on the result of a test in particular, don't go shopping. Don't do anything stupid. Like, go for a big a big shop. Uh, that interview will be on the podcast later on I had COVID-19 I was minding myself I was washing my hands staying at home not socialising but I was going to the shops I was collecting shopping from a delivery driver this is a highly infectious virus looking back did I disinfect my shopping? no could I have picked it up in the supermarket? yes we have to be even more careful and so does everyone in our bubble on sanitizing going into and out of the shops a lot of people do it in the car true thank you baldy barber for that pj signing with the electronic pen at the post office drives so much fear into me you wouldn't believe it so many people come and go the chances of infection are enormous despite there being hand sanitizer on the counter i've seldom seen it being used that's from tom suggestion tom it would be that you if you get a a small packet of polystyrene gloves you'll pick a pack of a hundred up for about three quid in one of those discount stores and three or four quid and just put a glove on before you use the pen um it, it just the safety level of it it's just an additional layer of safety between you and and the pen as it were and between you and and the surface why is there no mention or talk of carers well of course there is of course there is they need vaccinations too this race to vaccinate everybody should hopefully we most people should be vaccinated by the middle or the end of the summer but carers should definitely be a high priority very very high priority actually i wonder what did anybody think of that situation that occurred in early January in one of the hospitals in Dublin uh, where they had a number of doses of vaccine left over at the end of a shift. And, of course, you can't just put it back in the press. It'll go off, this Pfizer vaccine. So they gave it to some relatives and family members and there's a bit of a, an uproar about it now and there's kind of two arguments going on. Well, one, would you prefer the vaccine to be in someone's arm or in the bin? That's one side of it. Or should they have gone and looked for porters? Should they have gone and looked for catering staff? Should they have gone around the hospital and given it to those who weren't necessarily next in the queue but were vulnerable? Should they have given it to those people? That, now, look... It's a small number of vaccines. It's 16 doses. It's not going to be a huge difference at the end of the day. But they were kind of thinking, well, why should their families get it when there are people around them? That one's going on. You can follow it mostly on, on social media. There's a, a mixture of outrage on both sides. 1850 Speaking of outrage, we've been following this one now since before Christmas. So South Dock had closed down Blackpool. South Dock told the HSE they would not be reopening Blackpool. They had no intention of doing it. And then last week we heard that South Dock were going to reopen Blackpool uh, from today. And everyone was happy. 
and everyone was satisfied that it had been effectively a good decision, good sense, common sense prevailing. Bearing in mind the HSE who have a contact with South Dock had told them, you've got to reopen Blackpool. And then on Friday, we weren't long gone off the air, and word came through that, in fact, they wouldn't be opening today. Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould, what is going on? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And listen, thanks to yourself and all your uh, team for supporting us. What happened, PJ? South Dock was closed down last March. Nine of South Docks were closed down because of COVID. Then over the summer months, seven of the nine were reopened, except for the store and Blackpool. Yeah. I've been fighting the- You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Issue I've been raising it constantly. I put in an FOI, a freedom of information request, which showed that last September and October the HSE told South Dock to reopen Blackpool because the HSE were afraid, right? That if Blackpool wasn't reopened, it would make people unnecessary presentations to AEs. In other words, pushing more people to hospitals when we're trying to keep them away from hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Last Tuesday, I received an email from the HSE confirming in writing that Blackpool is opening today. Yeah. On Thursday, I got whispers through the grapevine. I, I have to be careful about... Um, I, so I, I, I was told by a person, so on Friday morning, uh, I contacted the Minister of Health in the HSE, and at lunchtime on Friday, I got an email from the Minister of Health, Stephen Danley, saying that SOTAC would be reopening on Monday. Right. And I rang everyone in the audience, so I couldn't get an answer from uh, South Dock. So I rang uh, the Irish Examiner and Mrs. Um, Dunphy, and I rang uh, Breda in the Evening Echo. And they, when the press, you know yourself, PJ, when you ask questions, sometimes you get answers quicker than us. And on Friday evening, we confirmed that South Dock had pulled the plug and are blaming COVID-19 which I don't believe. I think, for my information, I don't think they were ever, what I'm after finding out now, they were never going to open Blackpool, that this was, 
they were trying to make a fool of not alone me, but the people in Cock North Central well, well, and in particular well, in North Right up to the desk of the Minister for Health, and the Minister for Health told you Friday afternoon that it would definitely be opening today. They're making the fool out of somebody. There was a statement issued by Cork Kerry Community Healthcare, Thomas. I, I, I'm sure you've seen it, but for the benefit of yeah. the listeners, I'll. I'll go through it. We were advised by SouthDoc that following consideration of their position in relation to delivering services, Blackpool and Listowel centres would reopen by appointment from January 18th. This followed significant engagement between Cork Community Healthcare and SouthDoc. We were informed verbally Friday afternoon SouthDoc has changed its position and decided not to resume this level of service at this time in the context of the sharp increase in COVID-19 numbers. We're concerned at SouthDoc's lack of consultation with the HSC on this decision. We're seeking further information as to what led to this decision and assurance from SouthDoc that it will now be reviewed in the context of the extraordinary pressure that all health services are under at this time. We're committed to ensuring that appropriate out-of-hours GP services are available. But having gone right up the line to the Minister for Health, they just decided Friday afternoon, without so much as a buyer leave, to pull the plug. And PJ, it's not acceptable. There's people, like, for the people I represent, they, they feel like we're being treated like second-class citizens. People are angry. They feel betrayed. Like, they hate, like it's not often, oh, PJ, that myself... And the HSC and the Minister for Health are all in agreement. Like you were in politics a long time, you know. Not when was often, the last Thomas. <laughs> right? When was the last time a Minister for Health? Two blue HSC. moons in a month happened the last time. <laughs> and and then you have South Talk just doing what they want. It's 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 unbelievable. And the thing about it, this goes against the actually the the, the HSC's own advice and the word guidelines. So I, I'm really angry um, because. I've been inundated over the weekend, and if you go to my Facebook page, you will see the comments that people are putting up there. And if mm. anyone wants to, they can go to my Facebook page. I put up on the Facebook page some of the correspondence I've got. I put up the, the minister's letter I received at lunchtime last week. Like, how you can have a minister for health making a statement at lunchtime on a Friday that a facility would be open and the HSC supporting it, and at 4 o'clock it being closed. It's unbelievable. And it's, so where do we it, go from here, Thomas? Where do well, we go this from morning, here? I've been on the phone to the HSC. I've written to the Minister for Health, the Taoiseach, the HSC, SOUTHDOC. And I've also written to the Minister for Finance because SOUTHDOC has $7.3 million a year from the government to run this service. Like, they also didn't get any cash payments they get from private, uh, private patients. So yes. this is this is a big money making operation. Because and we should believe- not forget that, Thomas. And you know, just for the benefit, like people with a medical card get a free South Dock consultation, but everybody else pays cash. Yes. And, Peter- and and if you don't have the cash, and at the moment, and I know someone recently who had a, a South Dock consultation by telephone. And, and when they finished the consultation with the doctor, the, they said, how, how much do I owe you, doctor? Oh, says the doctor, I've no card machine with me now at the moment. Um, your, your grand Galway. And two days later, uh, an invoice received from that doctor's own practice in relation to the... So they are getting paid for all these private consultations. And like that, a, a chunk of that goes to the doctor and a chunk of it goes to Stout Doc. And I believe he's at the head of this board, and I, I won't go into names, obviously, no. But Please. The, 
Yes, the, the board of management of South Dock, I believe, are not communicating their decisions either to the doctors or to the HSC. It, it's like they're a law unto themselves. Well, do you know what I'm going to do now, Thomas? And they probably yes. won't. They probably won't. In fact, I, before I even say this, I, I know I'm going to regret it because they won't. I am openly inviting whoever is top of the tree in South Dock to come on this show and explain what they've been doing. I'm inviting well, them openly. PJ, I'll give you their phone number and I'll give you the name when they, to, to Fargal and uh, Terry uh, and you can contact them directly to see if they'll make a statement to you because okay. I've now, contacted them and they, have, they haven't come back to me. Their argument is that in the context of COVID-19 and yet, like you said, Stephen Donnelly told you on Friday afternoon that they were going to open today. They gave a commitment to the HSC in writing last Tuesday that yes. they were going to open today, and then gone. And please, the thing about it is, people, like I've been contacted, a lot of people were delayed last week and they heard about it because people were making the, the, the point it was really, um, they didn't want to be travelling out to the Kinsale Road because they felt there was too many people going in to the one location. Yes. Like the one thing we learned about the pandemic is, you have to keep a social distancing. You have to sanitise. Like I listened to your show there beforehand about people don't know how they're picking it up sometimes. So it's more facilities we need with less people interacting to, so that people can go in in a safe manner. And this was something. And if that pool isn't fit for purpose, PJ, like I've been contacted by people over the weekend who are saying that their premises on the north side that if South Dock wanted to use them on a temporary basis just to get it reopened, people are willing to help. So, like, there is no reason why they can do it. And, like, I'm talking to people now, people feel that this wouldn't happen in other places, that this is because it's the north side again, that people are sick and tired that the way we're being treated. And they're, they're saying to me, Thomas, you're a TV. Someone needs to take these people on as enough as enough. All right. Okay. Thomas, leave it and there again. Just, there was just one other point. Go ahead. The HSC actually did email me today. And just to your listeners, mm. they're asking if there's any nurses or healthcare assistants who uh, would be willing to help them out. That the HSC are now that they're they're really under pressure looking for staff so if there's anyone out there any nurses or HSC uh, or healthcare assistants that they could do with them and that if they really want to contact me and I can pass on the number Okay. but, but they're looking for people at the moment they're looking for help okay. happy, happy to do that happy to do that Thomas thank you very much Sinn Féin TD uh, Thomas Gould 1850 he'll pass the details on of who is the top of the tree who's the the head man or head woman at, at South Talk. And I'm issuing a challenge here on the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM on this Monday morning. And look, come on and explain. I won't batter you with questions. I won't give out to you. I won't, you know, we won't, it won't be a row. It's just, I want someone from South Dock to come on here and explain why they've done this. Why, A, they said they wouldn't be reopening. B, they then agreed to reopen. And C, having agreed to reopen, they then pulled the plug at four o'clock on Friday. Couple of simple questions. The invitation is there. 
Will it be taken up? Hello, Cavsy was tweeting, giving out to us about talking to a nurse in London. Did you miss the point? He's from Cork. He's working on the front line of the busiest ICU in Britain at the moment. Yes, we know CUH is only out the road. We've been talking to them too. But a Cork man working as a charge nurse in the busiest ICU in the UK. Yeah, he is a story. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. You can keep the kids entertained and in trouble this January with a colourful Once Upon a Time with the Everyman Panto Stars. They'll be reading and performing the most popular and well-loved classic fairy tales and panto favourites and it's available to view anytime until Sunday, January 31st. Access all areas. Rescheduled from October 2020, Mary Black is delighted to be returning to Cork Opera House on Friday, May 14th. She'll be back with an all-star band playing favourite songs from her immense catalogue as well as showcasing songs from her new album, Mary Black Orchestrated. Access all Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. So we'd lighten the mood a little bit. Have an ished to this. Hey, baby, I've changed. That's the Brown Thomas Choir with the help of the great Brian Deedee and Hey Baby, I've Changed. That's his song. And that's a thing they did. We heard heard it a few weeks back. It's a thing that they did in almost entirely. In fact, it was entirely on, on Zoom and other platforms like that. And there's been a lot of people doing choral stuff on Zoom. Some brilliant videos up there. Just go looking for them. It's great technology. Everyone does their bit on Zoom and then some genius sits down and mixes the whole thing together. Before you know it, you've got a choral piece with actually nobody in the room. Workplace choirs. And and the the whole psychology of singing and the whole psychology of enjoyment of music, well, you don't need me to tell you about it. But the, there's a new program now called Choir Works, which will be part of the 2021 Cork International Choral Festival, which they're hoping, of course, will be a live event uh, this year. It didn't work out in 2020, but they're hoping it'll be back this year. They want people to put together a company choir, all the gang at work. And in the time of COVID, of course, you've got to do it all online. And you can put together a company choir and enter a competition at the Cork International uh, Choral Festival. Their director is Peter Stobart. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning. 
Great idea, great combination of music and technology. And there have been some wonderful stuff like that, Brown Thomas Choir. And there was a few uh, great choral, uh, Christmas choral events put up online uh, before before the festive season. It's a whole new departure for the festival, isn't it? It is, um, but clearly um, it's perhaps a, a necessary one, and um, it's it, it's also you know being being current and, and, and kind of going with the times. Um, yeah, we want to we want to kind of harness you know the companies that are already doing this, um, but hopefully um, pr- promote the idea to lots of new companies to set up their own choirs um, because um, as as you've just outlined, really um, the that's that's the current way of doing things choirs simply can't meet um and haven't been able to meet for well coming up to a whole year um so 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 the online choir is is where we are and um perhaps nobody wants to be there but um there's there's no way around it really as we know um so we're wanting to we're wanting to um set up these new choirs uh, in, in new companies and uh, we've got people ready to to take those online rehearsals um, and uh, they'll teach everybody a song they'll do they'll do kind of warm-ups and other um, sort of health based um, exercises um, breathing exercises um, or all, all those sorts of things um, there might be a backing track which everybody sings along to. The sessions can be recorded, which is an advantage, actually, of online choirs. Mm. You can record them and listen back to them in your own time. Um, And then everyone's going to film themselves um, in the privacy of their own home, singing the song along to the backing track, and we'll put those together in one of those clever videos that that you've just been describing. And Sounds then like a lot videos. of technology involved here, Peter. Well, I, there are people who, who who are doing this all the time. Um, so, um, in terms of putting the video together, um, in terms of the technology for for the person at home, uh, you only need well, you need your 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 Zoom or your um, your other online platform, Teams or whatever it is. Um, and then, um, and, and you're just singing along with, with the choir leader, um, along, singing along to the backing track in, in, for the rehearsal. All you need to do to record yourself is, is have that backing track playing on one device on your computer, perhaps, and then film yourself on, on your phone. That's, that's all, all it takes, really. And, and lots of the phones, almost all phones these days are, are, clever enough for that to be absolutely yeah. fine so so it's yeah. it's it is really quite simple um, and the, the the clever bit the the real technology will outsource to somebody else to put together that video okay and then, so how, and do, then how do people get started do they, do they contact the festival office what do they do yeah so um if if, if you're um, in a company that and you think you, you you might you might like to spearhead that sort of initiative um you can send us send us an, an email at the Coral Festival office, um, that's info at corkcoral.ie, um, or just have a look at our website, you can, you can contact us through that, and then, and then we'll put the wheels in motion and we, we, we can talk to you. And, and there are lots of different ways of, of, of doing this. It might be that some choirs um, uh, want, want to do just a cork-based one. Of course, because it's online, it could be, um, it, it could be a much wider thing if, you, if your company is spread over the country you can have different offices coming together um, yeah. to make up that choir. It could even be international, of course. You might have an office yeah. somewhere else. Um, yeah. and yeah. Online has many, many advantages. Last, last year, of course, Peter, the festival suffered. Um, what are the 
plans? I, I suppose the hope is that you'll be able to run a festival this year. But but it doesn't look like we'll be anything like back to normal by May. So what are you going to do? Uh, no, of course. And and we've been sort of hedging our bets um, and thinking, well, perhaps, you know, we can do we can do some things live and some things online. But of course, as time ticks away, we've we've simply had to to to, to make the decision um, and, and kind of call it, as it were. Um, so there are, there are going to be online concerts. Um, and the only competition element that would normally be quite a quite quite a big competition element um, of choirs coming in, international choirs, national choirs. But of course, that's that's all going to be done by video. So um, it, it's mainly going to be these kinds of online video productions, which mm. we're going to put into different competitions. Um, you won't and, have choirs travelling to Cork this time out again, no? Well, no. I mean, it's it simply uh, well, as as we all know, the the restrictions are. Yeah. At the at highest, really, aren't they? So, no. And I mean, the, the problem really is that choirs haven't been able to practice. So even if they yes. can travel in in April, um, they haven't been able to practice because you know, m- music uh, inevitably is um, is a is a long term thing. You have to do the rehearsal. You have to put the time in. Yes. Um, and uh, if you're entering a competition, you want to have made sure you've. You're, you're running at your best and, and of course so, choirs just so, haven't been doing that So there will be a festival but it will be online We, we, we look forward to it Peter and, and thank you for, for today Thanks for having me Cheers, that's Festival Director of the Cork International Choral Festival, Peter Stobart They'll be online this year and if you want to find out more about putting in a workplace choir then you can go to their website 1850 We are going to reach out to South Dock and try to invite someone uh, to come on with us this week to give us their side because it's, fair, it's only fair to seek uh, the views of the other side in this a lot of people incredulous at what happened last Friday don't understand it they feel cross about it and all that but let's, let's, let's reach out to South Dock and offer them an opportunity to give us their side in a statement to the examiner they pointed to the exponential growth in COVID-19 case numbers in recent weeks and said they had a responsibility to keep staff and patients safe. They said to the examiner, the COVID situation has deteriorated dramatically since December and what was planned and appropriate then has been superseded by events. Uh, The statement goes on to say South Dark was fully committed to providing care and the situation remains under constant review But, and to quote again, in the interests of patient, staff and doctor safety, it would continue to consolidate its care offerings and would not reopen the clinics in Blackpool and Listowel, which is fine. That's a statement as given to the examiner. The questions that I think we'd like the answers to, though, is then why commit to it in writing on a Tuesday? Why let that go all the way up the line to the Minister for Health so that he informs a local TD on Friday lunchtime that in, the, in his view and in his understanding there would be opening today. And then why, in the middle of the afternoon on Friday, without so much as a buy your leave to the HSE, why decide that they're not opening today? So if South Dock are willing to come on air and answer those questions... We'd be only too delighted to have them. 1850-715-996. Craig says, why don't they cut South Dock's funding as a penalty for not providing the service they're contracted to provide 
for the people of the north side. Well, that's what Thomas Gould and others have been saying. They have a service level agreement uh, based on the funding they receive, which is many millions per year, and they haven't been providing it. So that's one of the arguments being made. On the vaccine, uh, the Moderna vaccine, this is a message, the Moderna vaccine was rolled out in Dublin, Port Leash and Galway. We are the second biggest city and we were sidelined despite the pressure on our hospitals and especially on CUH. We're checking that out. We know the Moderna vaccine did come in. We know that it's about the smallest allocation of vaccine that we'll have. Uh, not a huge number of doses at all, but you know every dose is, is worth having. It was rolled out in Dublin, Port Leash and Galway. They had mass vac- vaccination clinics. Sprinkly a lot of doctors and nurses were getting them over the weekend. But did Cork get any Moderna vaccine? We are checking that. If we get an answer before 12, so will you. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just, just looking out into the back garden of Coogan Towers. Yeah, we're still here in Studio 1.5 for another few days. But anyway, by that's a, that's a by the by. It's getting cold and it's getting damp. And the forecast ahead for the week is not great at all. Which means if you suffer from something like SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, then you could be facing into a difficult few days. That's coming up this hour. 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 83 396 Email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinion996, hashtag OL96. And if you want to contact us through Facebook, of course, you can do that too. It's uh, just send a message to the Corks 96FM Facebook page and please mark it for the attention of the opinion line. Now, as we head into another week of the schools being closed, and they're closed until at least the 1st of February, and if you're to listen to the soundings and listen to the vibes coming from those in the know and not those who tell you they know, those in the know, it's looking like an awful lot of schools won't reopen. It'll be into February. It could well be after the midterm break. It just doesn't look like the public health doctors are saying it. Dr. Gabriel Scali was on this program uh, the week before last saying that there's no way that they're going to be ready to open the schools on the 1st of February, even though the minister and the Taoiseach are determined that they will. But that's a by the by. We still have a couple of weeks where parents are trying to homeschool or at best to, to keep the kids in touch with their lessons while school is closed. And, like, parents are not teachers, you know, so this is a challenge for them. And then they've also got to tie that in with maybe working from home themselves. And and it's just all sorts of problems and all sorts of of complications. There was an interesting article in one of the newspapers over the last few days. Uh, Dr. David Coleman, the child psychologist, was saying that parents, rather, parents must set realistic goals for themselves. David, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. David, what does that mean, realistic goals? It looks like a lovely sticker that you put on the wall of the office, but what does it actually mean? I think it means uh, being clear about what your own expectations are in terms of what you can deliver as a parent. So I, I think most parents see that their children's education is important. Most of us support that. You know, we make sure that our kids have all that they need to get into school. 
we make sure that uh, when they come home from school, if they're in primary school, we probably, you know, sit with them or at least supervise elements of their homework. And um, but, you know, now that they're at home and and the either work is being sent home, depending again on, on how it's been done at different schools and primary schools, a lot of the time it's more that work gets sent home. Uh, in secondary school, a lot of them are sticking to the curriculum and actually having online classes. So, um, but you need to be realistic about what you can deliver because, you know, it was hard for parents, you know, often to find time, for example, to, to supervise homework amidst all the other tasks that had to get done. None of those tasks have disappeared. And so, yet suddenly we're expected now to spend even more time with our kids on their education. And I just think that's not necessarily manageable or feasible for all parents. And so, rather than going by what the expectation of a school might be or what your teacher, your child's teacher might be, you need to go uh, and, and base your, your targets for what you can do on, on what you know is realistic for you. If you only have an hour a day that you can manage to carve out to work with your kids, for example, well then that's what you focus on for in terms of what you're delivering with regard to their education and that will be enough. That's a very solid direction because we've talked to people who are trying to homeschool over the last few months, over the last lockdown, David in particular, and they said, like, I have to try and uh, do a kind of a school day. I have to sit them down at nine o'clock and do some less. No, you don't. No, you absolutely don't, do you? Uh, well, no, because I'm not sure that your child is necessarily going to react well to that either because you're, they won't see you as a teacher. They won't see this as a, a school day in the same way. And I think for sure, you know, it is useful for us to create structure and routine for our children. And so it may be that you set time aside again, depending on what's manageable for you. And, and, and so sometimes that means if you're already working from home, for example, if you're still working and have the luxury of still working because it feels like a luxury at times. Yes. Um, but uh, but if you're working, you know, you need to perhaps have negotiated with your employer, you know, about maybe again looking for more flexibility so that you could set time aside. And, and if you can set time aside, for example, between 10 and 12, between 9 and 12, between 9 and 10, whatever it might be, that might be a good thing because then, you know, that is the time that you are going to be available where you will structure things, where you will try and take out the copy books and, and the lesson books and, and, you know, anything that's come from the teacher uh, and work with your child to help them move through the work that they need to do or that ideally they'll get through. But it doesn't necessarily have to be at nine. It doesn't have to be running from nine until 2.40 p.m. in the afternoon, according to what would be a typical school day for a child. And so, um, you know, because that's just not tenable, that's not manageable. And, and so you'll yeah. crack up. And, and so, you know, as soon as a parent cracks up, well, then all hope is lost. So as parents, I, you, we have you, to... You be- mentioned in, in the article, actually, you mentioned it can be very stressful with tantrums and rows and tears. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's just the parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, well, you know? you know, we're all human. And so we know that uh, we as, as parents, as adults, we're experiencing a huge amount of uncertainty, no more than our children are. And, and within that, then, it's, of course, understandable that we'll be experiencing anxiety because, you know, that's what happens when things are uncertain. When things change a lot, then, you know, the change also brings about additional stresses. And so we're now trying to cope with extra stress, extra anxiety, extra bother on our own part and of course you know nine times
times out of 10, you know, because we're human, that will be uh, leaking out of us in terms of irritability and grumpiness because that's also typically what happens. And so, you know, we need to try to regulate that as much as possible, which is, again, why certainly in that article I was I was talking about the idea of a little bit of self-care for parents, you know, that we try and mind ourselves a little bit and, and do something that actually helps us to rebuild some of the energy that we're spending, you know, looking after our kids, trying to get them through their schoolwork, trying to get them fed, clothed, <laughs> trying to get them outside and exercise. And is that as simple, David, as if you can manage it? Is that as simple as maybe half an hour to an hour for the day, in the day, purely for yourself, to watch rubbish on the telly, to read a book, to listen to music, to walk the dog? Is, that, is it important to have that period of time just for me every day? Yeah, and, and so for sure there's those kinds of, of uh, you know, kind of uh, hobby-based pastimes that we might re- revert to as a way of, of switching off. It's certainly going to be healthier than switching off, you know, by scrolling through Twitter. You know, it's going to be healthier than switching off by, you know, drinking a load of alcohol. But even for other parents, it may be that, you know, if you, if you have a, an hour, for example, that you know you're not going to be interrupted by your children because somebody else is, is available to them, that might be the key hour where you feel you can deliver a really good hour's work and get some key things, some key decisions made at work or some key reports in or projects, whatever it might be. And that might then free you up knowing that you've got that bit out of the way rather than feeling like that's all hanging over you or that's all getting stretched out. So it's it's about knowing, I think, as a parent as well, you know, what counts as self-care? What what will help me feel better about myself and feel more relaxed and feel more able? And, and mm. sometimes, you know, self-care for some parents is about, okay, now I have half an hour and I'm actually going to plan out my next day you know I'm going to do my timetable I'm going to do my own uh, little mini uh, list but isn't of, it important though David achieve. to switch off all of that I, I, I speak, speaking purely personally here and thankfully my, my, my children are, are, are long gone out of education but but we're, we're, we're well my daughter is but we're, we're all still living in the one house together and we're living together and there's a set of cabin fever because all our routines are all upscuttled you know, mm-hmm. to still try to find that little bit of time in the day just for you to wind down and relax. And if you make it work-related, you're not really winding down. You're not winding down, but it's about what frees up your headspace, I suppose. You know, what allows you then to feel that you... Because, again, some people won't be able to enjoy the wind down, as in they won't be able to switch off properly, you know, reading a book, or they won't be able to go for the walk <clears throat> and not feel a little bit agitated or a little bit kind of like, oh, I really, there's this other thing that I should or, or need to be doing. And, uh, you know, so it is a bit of a skill for us. I mean, I, I absolutely take what you're saying. I'm not suggesting that it's not a great idea to be able to switch off or to try and switch off. I'm just recognizing, I suppose, that it's hard for some people and that sometimes yeah. we have to get a few ducks in a row before we can actually properly switch off. But but for sure, um, it, you know, it is that minding of ourselves. And so, you know, that might be as well about the food that we eat, you know, that we give ourselves a bit of a treat dinner every so often if we can. Um, even better if somebody else is willing to cook that for us, you know, that we don't feel that we have to take on that task as well as all the other tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, if you're living with a, a husband, wife or partner, you know, great that you can divvy up the role so that, again, both of you can get a little bit of what you need, um, mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like, you know, all of the responsibilities falling to one person. Because, again, some of the research shows that, 
it is women on you know perhaps not surprisingly but it's women who shoulder the main burden in terms of both the education at home now that that's what's happening as well as the large majority of the domestic uh, work that's happening in terms of keeping people you know fed and clean and all the rest of it so mm. so it really is critical you know if you're in that position that there's two of you in it then the two of you need to be doing your fair share that's for sure okay. Can I ask you finally about the effect on children of another school closure? And as I said at the outset, and look, anyone close to it who, who kind of knows will tell you, yeah, sure, 1st of February, lovely idea, very ambitious, more likely to be after the Valentine's Day midterm break at the very earliest. So we're looking at another month and a half. At last, week, last year, we know what happens. The schools closed at the end of March and didn't open again until September. Mm-hmm. As a, as a child psychologist, David, mm-hmm. does this do, will this do prolonged damage to our children? Do we have to measure up the, the missing of school because of a pandemic with the psychological well-being of our children going forward? So in truth, we probably won't know the long-term impact until some of that long-term time has passed because we've never been in this situation before. So if you look at the studies that have been done where children have missed out on education, um, it tended to be shorter term and it was often, say for example, some of the comparative studies that were done looked at children where you know teachers had been on strike in one part of uh, a country and then within another region, teachers weren't on strike. And so they, they were able to compare outcomes for children, uh, you know, over that long term. What it does show is that for sure, when children miss school, then they are missing out educational opportunity and that that is more significant for children who are disadvantaged anyway. So if you're already socially or economically disadvantaged, um, then the you know missing formal education is more dangerous in the long term and, and will have worse outcomes for you um, than if you are uh, you know a, a typical perhaps middle class family because so much of that is about again the accessibility of of education outside of school and and again that's about you know parents' capacity to deliver it it's also about other resources so for you know a, a lot of young people um, even in secondary school some some young people will have laptops Laptops are, are home computers that they can access stuff. You know, some, some young people are reliant on their phones. Uh, some may not even have that if the Wi-Fi or the credit, you know, isn't uh, paid for and so on. So, mm. it, you know, I mean, socially, for sure, it's already having an impact on, on children and teenagers. I mean, I'm seeing that in my clinical practice. You know, there's a lot more children who are, you know, really distressed by the isolation that they felt who are finding that, um, you know, even being able to connect with friends through social media and stuff it's just not the same and it's not enough and and so relationships are they're struggling in in terms of maintaining their relationships so i think you know it is already having an impact but i guess it's about you know there are certain things that you know where we have control over them you know for sure then we have a responsibility where we don't have control and that's what this virus has very clearly shown us is that this is an area where we just don't have control it is about being flexible. It is unfortunately about being adaptable and it is about rolling with the punches, so to speak. And it's about, you know, 
for, for us with our children, it's about being warm, empathetic, understanding, acknowledging that this is a difficult time for them, even though it may be a difficult time for us too, but, but being able to at least acknowledge for our kids, look, this isn't easy. You're doing a good job. It's as much as you can do. We're all about hanging in there. We're all about getting through it. You know, we do see that there will be, you know, there is hope that things will be better and easier in the future. Um, but I think if we can show that level of understanding, that makes it easier for children to get through this time because it is absolutely difficult for them. Lastly, and, and it's related to it, David, I was looking at some of my social media over the weekend where parents, particularly one parent that I know, who brought their children out to a playground and children having fun, as children will do, and then the playground started to get very, very crowded and this parent said, look, that's it, it's too crowded, we got to go home. Cue mm-hmm. tantrums and tears. How do you deal with that? Again, so you're making a decision there where you're weighing up the potential benefit of hanging out and uh, and having fun in the playground against the cost uh, of somebody potentially getting sick and that having you know knock-on effects with extended family or whatever or or even in terms of work commitments that you might have. And so, you know, in those situations, you have to make a decision based on what you feel is the right thing. And and once you're content with your decision as a parent, then it's about again being warm and understanding with your child, but also firm that this is just the way it needs to be um, and so you know it's not about you know it's not really a democracy in a family and so as a parent you do have to you know make those tough decisions at times but it's about recognizing that when you make tough decisions then that can be upsetting for other people and so it's about just being warm and understanding about the upset that these decisions cause but still sticking with them okay listen thank you for your time today i do appreciate it that's uh, dr david coleman uh, child psychologist it's tough times it's tough times i saw those tweets at the weekend people uh, going to playgrounds with the kids and then you know pulling the kids out of the playground because it was too crowded which of course was the right thing to do but then you're dealing with tantrums and tears and children just don't understand they don't get it that this is why you have to leave the playground. So how do you know that? How do you process that when you're four or seven or eight? You know, and it's very hard to do. But there he says, just make a decision and be firm about it. This is not a democracy. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Courts Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. I have often, lads, before we move on to this, can you just do me a favour there, Fergal, and take those teacher comments that we were holding over from Friday, teacher and school comments, just grab them and put them to the top of the comments page, if you would, please, uh, just so I can get to them before midday, because I was holding them over. 1850-715-996. I often complain uh, on the radio, and I often complain on social media, and I complain bitterly to anyone who listen that I hate winter. I just hate winter. It's just the dark mornings, the dark nights, the lousy weather, the fact that the back garden is a sea of mud and the front garden isn't much better, that it's dull, it's dreary, it's depressing. I just hate it. But what if it went beyond that? What if it actually could make you ill? The minute the light starts to diminish in the day, the amount of light in the day starts to diminish 
that is the point where you actually can get sick. And there is now a condition, it's a recognized condition called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Paul, how long have you had SAD? Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Um, I, I guess I've had it years, but it's only been kind of the last two, three that I was kind of diagnosed and started taking medication for it. And that's like um, one of those kind of sad lamps that kind of mimic the effects of sunlight. So I always have that kind of by the bed for, say, the morning before you, you kind of go out and go to work or whatever. Your problems would start, I think, when as soon as the clocks would would go back. Is that when your problems would start? Generally, yeah, because, you know, before I was diagnosed with this, you know, if I kind of look back over the years, times where, like, November would have been always the kind of particularly kind of hard month. And, you know, I, I, I'd be a big fan of Halloween and all that. And I, I like autumn and the kind of, you know, the kind of twilight in the evenings and everything. Yeah. But I always felt... Yeah. But once the clocks would change, you know, it'd start November or whatever, and just November was just, like, especially when you'd be, you know, you'd be finishing up work and it's pitch black for the day before you even go outside the door, go home, and it's like, oh, just even get me home. And when it'd be so dark in the mornings, you're just like, oh, I don't want to even get up and face the day. There were times where, I, like, I love work, and I love work when I'm in there, but, like, you'd be going to work with, like, tears in your eyes, just going, oh, I'm just allergic, I'm, I'm not in the form for kind of dealing anyone, with anyone today. But, you know, I, I went for counselling over it. I, I take medication da- daily, and I find I'm a lot more kind of positive and able to yeah. kind of, you know, deal with what the day has to throw yeah. at me now these yeah, days. Th- there's a difference between not just liking that, and I, I'm, I'm very much like you, I despise those dark mornings and dark, I hate them, but that's just me. With you, actually, it had a physical effect on you, it reduced you to tears. Yeah, definitely, and like, you know, I, I'd be a kind of happy-go-lucky kind of fella, and I always would have felt like, you know, anything you'd kind of trap me during the summer I'd be like ah feck it till, till be grand you know but the smallest thing in the winter would be just like oh down on top of you like, like a ton of big bricks and you know just kind of affect your relationship with like friends family work environment but as I said there now like you know since I started kind of seek out help and doing things about it I, I find myself a lot more kind of prepared now and I'm not like oh d- dreading the clocks changing and then like kind of nearly counting down the days from you know for it to change again is it in February or March or whatever because I, I always particularly remember when you know say that first day you'd be back at work and you look out the window and there's a bit of a little stretch, even though it's only yeah. an hour. It'd be like, oh, yeah. oh I've kind of great. That's another winter gone out the window, you know. Yeah, but your your friends, I think, at the start of it, were very confused. They didn't understand that your mood was connected and your sadness was connected to the absence of daylight. Yeah, but it, it, neither did I. To be honest, at the time, you know, kind of like I, I saw years ago when I, I tried to kind of, you know mental health wouldn't have been that kind of spoken about and when I kind of tried to reach out to kind of friends and stuff it, I don't know, it kind of freaked them out a bit and it nearly made kind of more of a wedge 
But how bad you know, did it get, it, Paul, with you before you got treatment and got a diagnosis? How bad did it get? Um, just like you know, kind of no, no go on me, and just very, very irritable, and kind of you know, miserable, and like everything. You know, even like I, I do a lot of work online. Like I, I'm kind of you know do a lot of stuff in the hair industry and entering awards and all the rest of it and even if you know someone puts up a negative comment or anything it really kind of put me down for the day and I'd be kind of irritable and kind of you know like not yourself not yourself really but I I found since I seek treatment for it because even now what what made you seek the treatment what was what what encouraged you Um, to seek the treatment my wife, really, because I know it's just Irish men, you kind of put everything, kind of brush it under the carpet, and you're kind of like, ah, it to be grand, you know, you just kind of have to deal with this. But then I was like, this is kind of dragging on too long now. I kind of have to, you know, go and sort something about it. And the best thing I ever did, I couldn't recommend to anyone, you know, like go and speak to mm. someone or go speak to your doctor. Like, yeah, and I, when I, someone told you, who was it, was a doctor or a counsellor, when someone said, actually, Paul, this is a real condition and we can treat it, how how important was that to you? Oh, massive, because, like, I, I was thinking, like, how am I going to, you know, deal with being miserable six months of the years for the rest of my kind of life kind of thing? I was like, are we going to have to move to, like, Spain or something? Or just even the thought of the winter coming in was just, oh, uh, and I, to be honest, it's only... The last two years is the most I've ever enjoyed Christmas because generally I'd be like just in no form and just like, you know, you're nearly wishing it away, can't wait for the summer kind of thing that like yeah. you wouldn't be present in the moment. You're just constantly trying to wish away the winter and a good way to describe it. I, I don't know if you watch the show, but it's a show on Netflix called Stranger Things where, where they kind of go into like, yeah, where, where they kind of go into the, the upside down, the kind of alternative reality where everything yes. looks the same, but it's just dark and dull and miserable yes. and yes. everything's the same, but everything's kind of totally different. That, that would have been the way. And like, John you know what, fair, I, I still, you can have still the odd bad day, but I, I find particular... You know, it's a chemical imbalance. It, it's you're lacking the vitamin D from the sunlight. Since I started, you know, taking a medication for it, I'm so chilled and kind of mellow and, mm. you know, total what comparison you, what you to what I would have been. Um, it's Brintelex. It, right. It's just one, one little tablet, have it a day, no side effects, thank God. And, you know... Everyone would kind of say that, that that I'm a way more chilled now. I'm a way more, um, ha- I don't know, happier all around, I guess. And and the lamp then, where does that come from? Did, what, yeah, what, what, um, what does that I, do it's, for you? It, it, it's a sad solution. So it's just this little kind of white light. Like there's no heat off it or anything, but I just have it by the side of the bed, and it kind of mimics the effects of sunlight, and e- right. even like. Pets love it. Even the dog or cats cuddle up by it because it's you know it feels like sunlight to them, even though there's no 
it's a Keith office. But yeah, it was only about 60 uh, quid or something on off if, Amazon if, if, if or something. Pets, if the pets think it's a good idea, then you know what? Who are we to tell them? And, and, and you put that on in the morning. Is that it before you get up? Is that what happens? Gen- generally, yeah, when I get up in the morning and, you know, kind of... But when you're kind of getting ready in the morning or whatever, I, I on my day off, I generally have it on as well, or especially if it's more of a kind of a dull kind of a day. But yeah, like... And is I it like a bedside really lamp well. or is it like a light you put in the ceiling or what is it? No, it's like a bedside lamp. It's about kind of half a foot either way in diameter and it's very bright. It, yeah. And that mimics the, the sense of sunlight. So... Yeah, like in the yeah, summer you, morning, you, you, the nicest I, thing I to wake up to is that sun coming in the way. I got you. Good. Yeah, that 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 lovely nice summer morning feel of the light. Off it. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, and is that an expensive thing? No, it was only about sixty quid. I'd say. Right. Yeah. Now, now, how much better do you feel since you've got the light and you've got the little tablet that you take in the morning? Oh, <laughs> no comparison. Like, to be honest, if, you know, say back two, three years ago, if I'd thought of this phone call now, I'd, oh, the thought of it, I'd be doing everything to kind of get out of it. You know, even though I, I know it's it's good to kind of come on and help people that, you know, could be in a similar kind of situation, but like, total, total different situation. Like... Yeah. No comparison. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think anyone who's listening uh, will take great um, encouragement from you that, Jesus, there is a thing there, and maybe I'll go and seek help. You, you would encourage people to seek some help, would you? Oh, 100%. Like, like even, you know, because I'm, like, say, as a barber day today, I'd be part of um, this group in the UK called the Barber the Lions Barber Collective where it, it, it's it's called Barber Talk where say like a lad comes in and you know he might be a bit kind of nervous to open up to his family or friends but that he'll speak to somebody you know trust say like a barber or his physio or something and he just opens up a bit and constantly I have people you know they feel safe around you and you kind of have these conversations and clients of mine would have going, oh, jeez, I, I, I have that as well. I, I never heard of that. Now they look into it and they've, you know, f- found kind of remedies, spoke to their doctor and, you know, whether it be the lamp or medication, but, like, they're they're all the better for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sure, listen, if it makes you feel better, what of it? And if it gets you through the, the tough times, what of it? The Baldy Barber was on. He says Paul is one of the most talented barbers in the world and he has a big heart. I wish him well. What I love yeah. about this story, Paul, is that personally I know someone in my own extended circle uh, who, who has a similar predisposition to, to yourself and spends as much time as he can out of town in a place where he gets as much sunlight as possible, even the limited sunlight in the winter time. So I can identify with it. And I think anybody who's out there who... Is suffering a bit. They'll they'll be they'll be very encouraged to know that there are coping mechanisms. Definitely, and especially during all these kind of lockdown times, you know, like yeah. I I find it just try and create some bit of a routine for yourself. Just pick up a new hobby, or 
you know, do an online course or something. Have, try and have some bit of structure in the day because, like, I know myself if I wake up in the day and I've nothing to kind of look forward to or kind of focus on, I get very restless and kind of irritable. So, like, definitely, you know, try and have some kind of form of normality into your day or kind of structure helps as well. And And if you think it's more than just hating the cold and the wet, ring your doctor, is that what you say? 100%, yeah. Like, game changer altogether. Like, totally brilliant. Right. Well, I'm delighted. I'm delighted that you are as well as you are now. I have a little bit of news for you. The clocks go forward now, Paul, in 69 days. I do keep a countdown on my phone every year. And I was listening to someone yesterday morning talking about the changes in the mornings. We should start to see a bit of light in the morning within about four or five weeks. Brilliant. Yeah, that's right. Another thing I've got to say that, um, like, this should be more of a kind of bigger topic because each year, once the clocks do change in November, the suicide rate goes up something crazy and like that definitely has to be it's hardly a coincidence you know you get more suicide in winter in the dark times you know what you're not wrong and today today is known as blue monday which they say is the hardest day in the year for for mental health so it all it all ties in listen i wish you well both in career and with your continued recovery from sad yep thanks very much pj if anyone has any um questions or anything just drop me a line on social media just Paul Mack special and I'll talk away back to you thank Fantastic. you well done you cheers thanks Paul 1850 if you can identify with uh, with what Paul is saying that look it gets to you more than just the crap weather if it actually reduces you to tears or has you going around with this big pall of sadness over you for the six months or whatever then there's a reason for it there's a reason and you can Pick up the phone to your doctor and check it out. It is a real thing. S-A-D. Hello to Paula. Paula Staunton. Uh, we had Paula Staunton on the show <clears throat> about two years ago now, uh, telling her story uh, of life in the army and post-traumatic stress and trying to get treatment for post-traumatic stress and all that went with it. And it was one of our most memorable interviews of that particular year. And I kept in touch with Paula afterwards on Twitter, and she now, you always remember Paula, she, she now lives in, in Tenerife with her partner Brendan, and uh, is getting on good out there, and delighted to hear from her today. She tweets the programme to say a light box may help a little bit this is for Paul, it's an awful disorder, I hope you find something to help alleviate his symptoms, well he has done, he's taken a tablet of the morning and he has one of those little light boxes, uh, but good to know that you keep in touch, uh, Paula 1850 just some comments on, on teaching and homeschooling and I'm going to come back to the Blue Monday thing in a wee while because today is the sort of the blackest or the bluest day of this part of the year at least for a lot of people I'm a secondary teacher teaching all live classes at home. My 13-year-old daughter is in the next room doing her work. She hasn't had a live class yet and a couple of pre-recorded ones. I'm not impressed with her school or her teachers. The transition from missing half of sixth class to first year had been severely disrupted. I know my fellow teachers are under pressure, but one live class per subject isn't that big an ask, is it? Especially when she should have three classes in that subject 
per week. And these are some comments we held over from Friday with the news that the schools are remaining closed now until the 1st of February and they're still struggling with getting special needs education back. Once again, PJ, I'd emphasise the need to balance teachers' concerns with those of working families who are mostly on lesser wages and trying to balance the needs of frontline work or working from home, often for longer hours during the pandemic due to the frontline nature of their work. And don't forget the kids themselves losing over seven hours of education, seven months, seven months of education. We didn't send them to school for fun. And then the stuff like this comes in. The teachers and SNAs should be called the Illuminati. They think they're a protected species, a national treasure. Only six kids in a unit and they say they can't do it. You don't hear the creche workers complaining, prison officers, nurses. Put them all on the COVID payment, says this message. Well, let me tell you now, with regard to special needs assistance, as anyway, the co- their, their wage isn't much better than a COVID payment. Before anybody starts throwing figures at me, it's just a comparison, all right? Another unilateral... Oh, this was to do with the decision again last week. Another unilateral solar run from ministers with zero details, all communicated via the media, just displaying their lack of knowledge about what their briefs actually are and what's involved in special classes, etc. Not to mind uh, Minister Madigan referring to normal students. Now, that's come from Graham, a special class teacher. I just wanted to hold those over because there wasn't a whole pile of love in the room for teachers... Uh, last week but then again you have to ask are they not entitled to protect themselves and should uh, the the teaching unions and a lot of teachers that I've spoken to and certainly a lot of SNAs are saying listen we are in very close contact with the kids we work with can we not get vaccinated now please and if you really want that's a big push at the moment if you really want to get the schools back and you really want to get the leaving cert done and you really want to get special education working again then can we please get some vaccines for the teachers please is that not a good idea it sounds like common sense to this poor fool here but can it be done 1850 just on the subject of blue monday come back to it next the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So experts in mental health and emotional well-being... Uh, all agree that today, for some reason, Blue Monday is the most difficult day of the year so far. And I suppose you could look at the various things. You're running short of money. January is the worst month of the year. It's got about 47 days in terms of money. You're running short of money. The weather is terrible. The excitement and buzz, such as it was even this year, of Christmas and New Year is gone. And COVID is just 
running our lives. We're back into lockdown, and it's just awful. It's it's been a horrible month, um, and the worries about our jobs and our children, our health, afraid of getting sick or someone else getting sick, it all adds to a very very tough month. So we'll just catch up very briefly with Jerry O'Brien. Uh, our emotional freedom techniques, friend. Uh, just for a little while, I won't have much time today, Jer. Is there ways that we can dig ourselves through this very, very rough month? Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Yes, there is, absolutely. I mean, when they came up with the most depressing day of the year, well, it is if you perceive it to be that way. Um, I, I can give the listeners some tips in order to counteract any feelings of depression or anxiety, for that matter. So if anybody's got... Um, a pen and paper, they are just right down what I'm about to say. Yeah, obviously, read some self-help books. A lot of people don't take, you know, um, control over their own destiny, over their own life, over their own thoughts. And, you, you, you know, a lot of people should read books on self-help. And one of those books would be The Little Book of Positivity by Lucy Lane. And mm-hmm. one of my favourite books, I, I told you about this before, PJ, is The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Norman Vincent Peale, I would suggest to wear something colourful. Colourful, it will definitely boost your mood. If you've got a bath, have Epsom salts bath with lavender. And uh, one of my favourites is to declutter. Declutter your, your, your bedroom, your entire home, because if you've got a lot of stuff in the home, it's, it's, a, it's a mirror reflection of the balance of your thoughts. And when you start to declutter your home, your, your environment, you'll start to feel a lot better once you do this. Um Movies. Is, is there, it, 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 that suggests that there's no coincidence, Jer, about uh, n- loving tidiness. As in, for example, we have a lovely big bright kitchen here, and I am obsessed with keeping that tidy because it looks so calming and so nice. There's no, there's no coincidence. No coincidence there. No, there's not. No, there's not. I mean. The minimalistic way is the way to go, and you could delve into feng shui, and you could understand, you'd have a better understanding of this. And, you could, you know, for your listeners, they could also get onto Netflix and watch a lady by the name of Marie Kondo. She, she declutters yeah. houses and that, you know. And once you, it's the same, you know, if, you, if you've got a lot of stuff in your home, clothes, for instance, stuff that you just don't use, just completely declutter. And I'm telling you guys, you will feel so much better, so much mm. better. What about the old um, idea that the advice you're given? Control what you can and control how you respond to things that you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. I take care of what I can and leave behind what I can't. It's exactly the same thing. Um, I just want to get a few things in there, uh, PJ. I think it's important for people to get some tools and tips. And one of those as well will be a movie called, I'm sure you'll laugh when you, when you hear this, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Okay. If that's not going to, if that's not going to, re, uh, you know, raise your vibration and your mood, it's one of the best comedies out there. And uh, right. the other thing is to take full responsibility for how you're feeling at this moment in your life. You are the only person that can change and make that change when yourself in order for things to change. Right, right. So, so explain how that would work. Well, okay. People seek help. They seek help for myself, for instance, and lots of other therapists and doctors and mental health professions, professionals out there, but it really has to start with you. Like what I would say to my client is, do you want to carry on feeling like this for the rest of your life? Obviously, the answer is no. Well, then I'd say, you've got to allow me to help you to help yourself. And we will pass on tools and carry, carry out different types of therapies in order to 
to make that person feel a lot better. But once they start to take full responsibility for how they're feeling and what's going on in their mind and in their bodies, well, then there's a massive shift. Is it like a junction in the road and life is going to continue? You can go that road or you can go that road. You're headed down that road, but you should be on the other road. I'll teach you to get there. Correct. Correct. And most of us, to be fair, we're on that road of comfort. And it's a wonderful place to be. But when you take the other fork in the road, that's where the real growth starts to happen within yourself. Because we're all here on this planet for a reason. We all have a purpose. And most people go through so much negativity. But you must realize that everything is an experience in life. And, you know, Paul said at the start that there's a lot of suicides this time of the year. And there's a person who takes their own life every 40 seconds in the world. So by the time our conversation is finished, just do the maths. And, um, That's a very sobering take, thought, Ger. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. And uh, I wanted to highlight it. And again, with, with even, you know, I would suggest to people to get out of the comfort zone and to take the road that, that's less travelled. And this is where you will start to grow and face your fears. Face your fears. Jared, we'll have to have a longer conversation more frequently throughout the year. I think you're, you're a great cam and a response to everything. Dane and Douglas was on to say hi hi to Jer. He does great work, and I just want to say well done to him. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Jer O'Brien, uh, Emotional Freedom Techniques. You'll find him on Facebook. You'll find him all over the place. A couple of years ago, when we had Jer on first, people were saying, who is this guy? Now they want to talk to him, and they want to hear more from him every time he's on. So we will talk again to Jer throughout the course of the year about the things that are bothering us. Thanks, Jer. 1850-715-996. I want to finish with what I started, because this is the email that made us, me anyway, very cross this morning when I read it. And I want you to think about the sentiments in this and we, by the way, I think I might have said this person works at COH. That was purely out of the stupidity of my mind. We've no idea where the person works. All we know is that they work in a hospital and they are a nurse. I'm on the front line of this paramedic, or this pandemic. I'm on the front line of this pandemic. It's with great sadness that I write this email to you. When I started out 14 years ago, training and qualifying to be a nurse, I foolishly thought my chosen career would give me so much happiness job satisfaction and respect. With that said, yes, I've gotten all of these for most of my career, but in this particular moment during the pandemic, I've never felt so stressed, underappreciated or worthless. In light of the vaccine, which is a godsend to us, anti-COVID friends and acquaintances have just plagued me with private messages of links to anti-vaccine sites telling me I'd be stupid to get it, throwing everything at me about infertility to having children with defects. Up to now, I've ignored them all and called them what they are. Bullshit. I've now been scrutinised about my nursing and that all of us are making up lies about the situation unfolding in our hospitals, stating that things aren't bad and we're just quiet, that we've always had a lack of beds and this is winter, an attitude of stop lying and just get over it. I've worked 14 winters in the hospital setting. Funnily enough, none of them quite like this. Why do I do it? Why should I carry on being a nurse? There seems to be no gratitude or even common courtesy or respect for us like there used to be. I'd appreciate if this could be read out, which is why we started and finished the show with it today. If you have thoughts on it, we will certainly come back to it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Remember that podcast we put up in mid-afternoon. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. 
Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big. 